You're listening to Casey Moab Community Radio. I'm your host this afternoon on this Radiothon show. Uh, and how many would it be? I guess it would be... When did we start doing it? It well, could have been from the very first one. Christy, how long have you been involved with this station? Uh, when when it was a little zygote. <laughs> so pre-birth. wraps mind. Um, and a whole bunch of people really, you know, like every really good idea, a lot of people somehow dream of it, and it comes from a place of longing, and what does this place need? And uh, the AM radio station that had been here since 19... 19- 54, I think, uh, had finally not made it through the bust. And there was a lot of some of the same creative people that were involved, but they were thinking, you know, what would be better is to have it be a little bit, have more creative latitude and also be able to provide for different communities uh, that perhaps weren't being served for the AM commercial model. And also, it was very hard to just sell the advertising in that day. So it was like, we can do this. And at that time, I think it was part of a wave of uh, FM licenses that were becoming available. And so a lot of things came together at once. And uh, in Hmm. that void of there not being any radio station, except for maybe late at night, if it wasn't too... Mm, you know, like a clear winter night or a clear summer night. You could hear KOB, uh, you could hear old Art Bell, you could hear old uh, crackly, you know, Green Hornet, Golden Age radio stuff. But, of course, this is so far before the Internet, we don't even need to talk about it. <laughs> it was well pre-birth. Or you could I go, really what would you call that? Feel when people said, "Have you been to Moab?" People would say, "Through it at night," you know. It was it was a, a throughway. I guess it has been f- since time immemorial. However, um, yeah, the kind of people that stuck it out and made it happen for KCMU really just. How long have I been here since the beginning, Howard? Well, I was going to nominate. I was going to create this with our guests who were going to be here tonight, but maybe they forgot because they, you know aging does this to people sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but um, kind of like MVPs of the station, Bill Groff, Carl Rapp were two individuals that were very much, you probably remember these gentlemen quite well from 30 years. So my math will tell me if you did two a year, does this make your 61st Radiothon at least? The thing I can't really confirm without any of these persons here to remind me <laughs> is if uh, Casey Mew did that from the very beginning. I seem uh, to not know if that happened on this sort of biannual schedule. Something tells me it didn't. But I do remember that some of the first goals were very humble indeed. There we were in the trailer and trying to raise $5,000. For the first five years or so, it was like if we could just put 5K together, then we could squeak it out. And of course, nobody was getting paid, but that was all okay. So it was very, very, very grassroots. And um, even at that time, when they were drafting this lofty language about, and not not so lofty, really practical, look, we want to, you know, the mission. What's the mission, Howard? Uh, inform, educate, and delight, I would say, if I was going to reinterpret it in my own words. 
entertain. <laughs> yes. Because you've got the script. <laughs> I don't in front of me, but empower and Inform, also connect. Educate. And so all of these ideas for everybody that's here. And um, that meant doing news. But guess how long that took? Um, Molly, when did you come on board? <laughs> Four years ago. So 26 years. And we're talking daily news, not the... Uh, efforts to convene no, conversations, which it's been doing since the beginning. It's, but it's a different beast from being a music presenter because we have a universe of music at our fingertips, but news requires production. Yeah. It requires guests. It requires a bit of time and dedication. I know Molly does it all quite well because she produces it all, and actually producing five minutes takes a lot longer than five minutes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> We're a live a show longer. in a sense. Well, it's just happening live in the moment. My dude, as I would say, th- it's really true. It's really true, and that's what's been great about Fabulous. being able to just have live conversations because sometimes things pop out of mm. people that are like, oh. Mm-hmm. And I have some clips, dear listener. Thank you for tuning in to This Week in Moab as we kind of, on this 30th year, uh, look back a little. And, you know, there were so many people, Molly, Howard, that have come through these doors uh, of, of national and international importance uh, and conversations. And there were so many themes that popped up in listening to this past 30 years i would like you molly to take a guess top three top three people no top, top three top. yeah okay. what's the theme that emerged that you're like oh I'm, that has I'm never thinking, changed i'm thinking public lands what to do with our public lands mm. ding, 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 ding. <laughs> <laughs> my next guess is related but maybe water did water come up uh, a lot? Came up. My also related development. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And and always trying to figure out. Look, how can we do it ourselves and make this a better uh, living experience for everybody that's here and and grow healthy children and in um, a context of care. Some of the very same voices. So it's really moving. Maybe I'll start with affordable housing because there's a guy uh, who actually did news for Moab um, in the form of regular uh, rantings, and that would be Ken Davy. Oh, boy. I miss Ken. The dean of the Moab Press Corps who also, you know, uh, wrote for the Zephyr and... um, also did anchoring for Channel 6 with a fellow named My personal Jim interaction Mattingly. with him was I served on Economic Development Committee at Grand County when he was the head yeah. of Economic Development at Grand County. And we catch him at that point uh, in his career. And uh, we miss you, Ken. We appreciate yeah. it. He even was a DJ with mm-hmm. Hala. Uh, and mm-hmm. so we're just going to pick up a conversation. I I'm thinking this is uh, 2010, maybe, maybe a little Call bit. Call us, and if you that. can correct us, listener, by the way, yeah. and if we can't. Uh, listen, absolutely do, and know that there were a lot of curatorial efforts involved in just recording them, calling the people up, having them come. People used to listen in a different way and would call on the air and spout Molly in a way that I don't. I don't know that this happens as much today. How would you deal with that, Christina, as a person? Well, today it's different times because you never know mm-hmm. uh, how um, 
in what a state people are going to be with a seven second delay. Right. So time's a little different now, but the theme was the same. We're going to go now to uh, a public affairs discussion and what passed for news in a certain period of KZME's history. Still trying to figure out how to put roofs over our heads and same goes with KZMU. Howard, what's the number for people to... Oh, 259-5968. Yes, why? Molly, why? Do we need the cabbage? Why? We need the cabbage to continue supporting, putting your community on the airwaves and Mm -hmm. having these important community conversations that have been going on for 30 years. To just throw it in, a little in the tip jar for the um, showing up for ever. That would be wonderful. (laughs) 259-5968. Give it up for Howard. And uh, Howard, if you were to lay down, oh, say, 35 bucks. Yeah, you're going to stick it to me now? Is this, is this the plan? <laughs> stick it to Howard? Well, I would match you. Okay. Well, somebody, means, let's stick it to both of us mm-hmm. then. Which means that if somebody <laughs> calls then with 70 bucks. We'll match it. We'll match it. And that means um, you could wind up with one of these super groovy i mean we'd even kick it to make sure that you could i think howard we could make it happen is the gosh there's a pedigo e-bike rental for a day <laughs> oh there's so much i want to read that there's acupuncture we want to hear it before the end of this clip too because then we'll be coming back on the air so that's our challenge to you to get seventy dollars to us now let's hear from the yeah dean let's hear the from Moab you press court on a previous public affairs show called uh, Free Speech Friday. Ken? Well, um, why don't we set the stage a little bit by taking a look at uh, what's happened here in the past 15 years or so. Okay. You know, um, as Moab became, many people realized that in the 1980s, Moab had an energy bust. Uh, The uranium industry went downhill. Hundreds, even thousands of people lost their jobs. Families had to leave town. Um, And the town was was in a state of of depression uh, by the mid-1980s. But something began happening at the same time, and that was an increase in an appreciation nationwide and worldwide of of the climate and the topography and the ecosystem that we have here. And Moab became a much more popular place. Uh, Mountain biking became a national sport. Moab was one of the centers of that. People began appreciating more and more the the value of Arches National Park and Canyonlands National Park and the beauty of the canyons and fins that we have here and the high desert uh, topography, cliffs, wildlife. It began developing a tourist industry, and if you look at the, if you remember back in the 80s, we had a handful of motels, but in the 90s, we began building many more, and we built an industry around that, and many people made a living from that. Um, At the same time that Moab became a much more popular place with other people. So as the boom times of the 90s and the 2000s came along, Moab was caught in this kind of bind. We were growing an economy, but it was an economy that was based on generally not very high-paying jobs, seasonal jobs, and it needed a workforce that often could not afford um, expensive places to live. At the same time that was going on, the real estate market here, affected by so many people from Boulder and Denver and Salt Lake City and California and other places buying up properties, began growing in appreciation significantly. So we have this real clash. 
of low-paid jobs and high real estate. Another thing began happening that we had apartments here that have been around for 30, 40 years. Um, but as the 80s and 90s came along, they began being converted over to overnight stays. So we began losing apartments. And profit was not in building new apartments for the people who couldn't afford to pay very much. The profit was putting in condos and, and uh, duplexes for out-of-town second homeowners. So we've had this, this growing problem. And in the past few years, it's grown significantly. Uh, many of us thought that the prices of real estate in 2000 was very high. Typical house was about $120,000. Well, since then, the typical price now has gone up 125, 130% from that. While our wages have only gone up about 35%. So we're finding working people in this town falling further and further and further behind in the ability to have their own homes and even to rent apartments as they begin disappearing. In the last few months, we've seen a significant increase in the movement toward closing trailer parks and uh, converting those trailer parks over to more profitable uses. Now, many communities in Utah wanted to do something about that, but the state legislature, um, holding up very high the value of private property, passed a law last year saying communities and, and towns like Moab cannot pass laws preventing people from uh, uh, evicting people from trailer courts. Who did this? State legislature. Uh, they did it last year. So um, we're in a position where if someone wants to convert a trailer park and get rid of it to another allowed use in that area, there's nothing, literally nothing, that local government can do. So we've seen in the last couple of months a trailer park, the one um, that, that has been part of the uh, zone change application, um, throw out... Well, they're, they're evicting somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 35 families. Um, we saw another trailer park recently that's been sold. It had about 14 families in it, and the owners of that are looking at doing other things with that land. Uh, we've had apartments that have been converted into condominiums. And uh, we also have one of the bigger apartment complexes, 28 units in town. The owner of that is looking to convert that into, into condominiums. So. The problems we had with working class, working homes for working people, especially apartments, is getting more and more and more crucial and more and more and more desperate. So that's where we, we find ourselves right now, at a point where literally we will not be able to have a workforce in this town um, that can live in this town. I think it's actually been there for quite some time. I have no idea how people are pulling it off. Well, many of them are living three and four families to an apartment. Many of them are, are some of them are camping out. Um, many have moved back in with family and friends and others. Um, so it's a, it's a crisis that isn't always seen, but we've noticed it more now because actual businesses have been unable to have enough employees to keep open the hours they'd like to. So we had, uh, there was a, the Department of Workforce Services recently held a, a, what they called a labor summit, where they met with uh, business owners, and business owners almost across the board said that they could not find enough people to do the work. Um, and you know, you can only pay so much for, for some of the jobs when, when you're trying to sell, you know, at, at certain um, prices. So they're caught in a bind. They have to shut back on their hours. It reduces their profits. It means it, it's harder for them to, to keep paying and keep hiring the people that they have. So it's, a, it's an ongoing problem. And about, well, two years ago, the city council, in one of its visioning sessions, put finding a solution 
or finding different solutions to affordable housing to be one of their top priorities. And last visioning session they had in February of this year, they reaffirmed that. So they basically directed city staff to begin looking at ways to try and solve that problem. And one of the things that uh, Audrey and Donna and the uh, Housing Authority of Southeastern Utah have been go doing is putting together this housing plan. Um, one of the aspects, though, that, that is across the board known by everyone who works in affordable housing is the biggest obstacle to affordable housing are zoning regulations that, that restrict the amount of density that you allow. By density, we mean the number of, of living units in a particular amount of space. Um, we have a zoning outlook that is very suburban in how it was put together. Um, if we want to solve this problem, one of the things that the city council directed us to do and one of the things that all the experts say has to be done is we have to confront that question of increasing density. Because frankly, if you have a unit of land, the, the more one acre of land, the more housing units you can put on it, the cheaper each individual unit can be to construct and to maintain. And that's the key to providing homes for working people in this town. Is it okay morally to make a ton of profit over a basic human need? Well, I think in the, in the case that we have here in Moab, um, profit really doesn't enter into the, the affordable housing equation very much. Um, our solutions are going to have to be working primarily. We'd like to work with different landowners, um, and some of them we hope will will consciously not want to make money. But but the people who can develop affordable housing in this community are going to be nonprofit housing organizations. They're the only ones who can who can pull together the resources to make that happen. I think um, for the most part in the in the central downtown areas because the cost of land is so expensive. You know the. Um, the rule of thumb for affordable housing is that raw land cost per unit should be around $6,000. That means if you buy an acre of land for $60,000, you, you can afford to put 10 units on it. Well, a trailer park in Moab, one acre trailer park recently sold for, I think it was $435,000. So divide six into that and come up with how much you need of, of density in order to make that work. Um, otherwise. It's not going to happen. So the only way you can do that is if you work with nonprofit organizations who, by nature, can only work with communities. Um, you were talking about profit and developers. The nonprofit groups can only work if they if they have a partnership with the city or the county to make it happen. So it gives us an ability to to try and um, work with nonprofit groups uh, with specific densities and maybe pull something off. And I know Audrey has been interested in working um, with a profit group that's trying to do something out of town, but that's, you know, that's four or five miles away from downtown. So that means people who live out there are going to have to drive for groceries and are going to have to drive to pick up their kids after school and take their kids to the mark and take their kids to the after school program or go to the pool in the summer, things like that. We're hoping to be able to create a situation we're in very specific situations, working with nonprofit groups who are not making money and are in partnerships with the city or the county, but especially the city since that's the center core. If we can work in partnership with them and have them provide us with housing that will work for affordable for um, low-income people, and we're talking about families of four making an income of less than twenty-five thousand dollars a year, some of them fifteen thousand dollars a year. 
those are the families we're targeting. Um, the good thing about working with the nonprofits is that they are required by law to only rent those apartments to uh, qualified, uh, income qualified uh, clients and tenants. So that's uh, Ken Davey, the late Grand County uh, Economic Development Director, and was it, and also, gosh, he, he worked for actually the city, didn't he? That's, well, the county fired him. The, right. So he was both. Too good, <laughs> to be honest, I so mean, he, he was, I was a kind of a firebrand of a guy. Yeah, because he wanted to change things back in 2000, and the county didn't like his ideas for that then, and then in 2008, you know. But there have been, this is just, one conversation among scores of them entitled affordable housing with a variety of people and you know the clip goes a little bit further actually audrey talks about you know what was then just a dream about maybe being able to save a little bit of money for the thing that is breaking ground in spanish valley as we speak Mm -hmm. and um so he was just saying a lot of things that i thought well there's that theme that mm-hmm. certainly showed up. And that was uh, 2008. If you just tuned in again, that was some vintage audio, some of which I've been uh, diving deep into the stacks and selecting a couple of clips just entirely for this show. Gosh, who else did I find? I talked to Aaron Ralston, the guy who cut off his arm and survived. That was amazing. Um we have Amy Goodman herself plugging for KZMU coming up in a bit. Wow. Lots of things. So do stay tuned. And um, in fact, you know, we still, we've got a fresh, hot, out of the oven matching pledge <laughs> from Howard and I. You can smell it like this sort of <laughs> rising bread from some oven early in the morning, except it's not. It's 5 30. Practically, you're listening to This Week in Moab. I'm Christy Williams. I'm joined by the ever-steady Molly Marcello, News Director of KZMU. Uh, you have done a lot about the topic of affordable housing. Did that sound familiar to you? I was just, you know, thinking as I was listening to this amazing archival audio of Ken that he could be speaking, you know, last week. Um, just changed the numbers a little bit, but, you know, a lot, right? Yeah. He oh. said 120, like if families can't afford $120,000 a dollar home. And, you know, now we're talking about $500,000, um, for a house here in Moab. Um, so it's gotten even worse, but I mean, when you two hear that, I mean, you've been hosting these conversations for over 20 years <laughs> here in the airwaves. How do you stay positive? Because you, you've you heard this coming for for 20 years, for 30 well, of, years. I would say that of the years, certainly one of the things we did every year is interview candidates, and that has morphed into a more right. formalized session. Right. But we used to bring them up here, and always they say the same things all the time. Mm-hmm. Key points, housing, and it felt like this, the record just kept playing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately what it is with our elected officials is that they go into the job with a lot of idealism, thinking that they're going to change things for the way, and we all kind of support that. And it's the double-edged sword of a very engaged community. It's good in some ways. We like to vote, but they do not leave the politicians alone once they're elected, and the politicians feel obliged to taking care of every one of the calls that come in. And often that prevents them from doing what they'd like to do. Mm. 
they need to have the courage to say no sometime to constituents. But well, when they're new and they're rookies, they don't. It shows up a lot in this uh, audio where people are pointing to that problem and saying, you know, we care a lot about each other. And because we are each other's friends, it's mm-hmm. a problem. So it's great that you point to some of the reasons how uh, it is that the plans never seem to have teeth, which is, you know, one of the more depressing parts <laughs> when you have these conversations <laughs> and you have the plans yeah. and people are behind them. Yeah. And then it comes down to really disappointing someone. Mm. There are things that were mentioned in this very audio about, uh, gosh, there are ways to think outside the box, mm-hmm. such as buying the property the city has right. tried. And, uh-huh. you know, it. You got to think way outside the box. Results have been spotty. Or like what you just mentioned, you know, um, Christy with Arroyo Crossing and, you know, Audrey Graham's tireless effort Mm -hmm. to make that project Mm -hmm. happen. And we're now seeing it come to fruition. Oh, it just takes such grit. So the community, my hat's off to the community for coming up here and saying, we're going to do it. We're going to do it because we can't let, uh, you know, we can't count on the state or anybody else to do it for us, that seems to be another kind of theme in the Moab character. The one thing Moab doesn't have, it doesn't have a roadmap. Nobody does. We are the roadmap. So mm-hmm. our, the, we often use other communities to say, well, this is what they do in Park City, but it's not apples and oranges, folks. So we have a very unique um, characteristics here. And I believe thinking outside the box would be th- saying, hey, we have all this BLM land sitting in Spanish Valley all around Ken's Lake. In fact, there's affordable housing there. It's called a, a firehouse for the firefighters. Why isn't that land available for homes, for families, so we can fill our schools with kids again? Because we are the only county in the state that is actually decreasing in population in the second fastest growing state in the country and that's thanks to kzm news where i get that information mm. molly well, well yeah it's interesting census data <laughs> that's off, that it's, um, if it's not alarming that number shouldn't i mean if uh-huh. people are not jumping and saying yeah. this is more than an emergency it's a, uh-huh. it's a catastrophe waiting to happen people want to live here yes the land and is here we want them to be able to and we're so grateful for the ideas that come forth that are outside the box that do roll they roll uh, instead of the wheels falling off uh, in, in in a depressing fashion you know tell you what sort of grab bag radio right now here uh for this this week in moab we're also going way back back in moab to kind of a highlight reel there were some things that happened in the last 30 years. Let's see. Yeah. This is a Uh-oh. short clip, and I bet you you recognize this guy, uh, considering his fate when we caught up with him. Mm. Again, you tell me. Trivia also. What year was this? Do you have an intuition then about your fate? I think it's a little early for that. When I was there in the auction, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to prison. Really, since then, it's it seemed to be less and less likely that I'm going to prison, in large part just because of of how much support that I've been getting from folks here in Utah and around the country. People are really positively standing behind me on this. You know, I've had a great legal team with Patrick Shea, the former director of the BLM, uh, and Ron Yangich step up to defend me. You know, I've had these supportive rulings from the judge and, and from Salazar who are, are making it clear that this was an illegal auction, that what I was standing up to was unjust. Uh, so I think I've got uh, a lot more support in my, in my corner right now, and I've got a lot more to stand on legally. It's kind of a political decision at this point, so we'll see where it goes. Do you have any other cultural voices that you've drawn from for your inspiration? Um, yeah, there have been a lot. Uh, last fall, I 
took a course studying um, social movements in American history. Uh, so I was reading a lot of Tom Hayden, uh, reading about the Chicago Eight. Uh, I was studying the civil rights movement and the, the anti-war movement and the, the woman suffrage movement. And that really affected my view on, on what is required by us right now, because I saw that there has been this limit to change in America and this resistance of the status quo and how effective that's been. And I saw that as environmentalists, if we're as successful right now at stopping climate change as the civil rights movement was at ending racism, then we'll still fail to have a livable future. Uh, if it takes us as long to achieve success as it took the women's suffrage movement, then it'll be too late. And if our success is as fleeting as the uh, anti-war movement of the 60s and 70s, then it'll be too little. Uh, so we really need to go above and beyond what historical successes have been with social movements. Tim DeChristopher, also known as Bitter Number 70, Molly. and um, Bitter yeah. Number 70. When his, his prison sentence was not yet known, yeah. before they made a law saying that it was illegal, right. in fact, uh-huh. to do that. So, And I do believe this was the first uh, broadcasted wow. uh, conversation because this landscape is one of the chief motivators behind so much environmental ferocity. Right. Did you know at that time when you spoke to him, I mean, I'm sure you did, but how historic of a moment that was? I guess I have to say no. Really? Yeah. Not really, although I I feel that my perspective about that kind of thing Mm -hmm. is, well, it's hard to get when you're at it and everybody Mm -hmm. is so Mm -hmm. kind of equally important there are people that I think you know that person is going to change the world uh Betty Maya Foote right for one who has been so instrumental with the international dark skies she was in the New York Times article recently did you know that yes I did featured in the New York Times (laughs) I'm promoting Moab (laughs) I'm saying it the other thing, you know, when we look back and we're thinking environmentally, uh, I this might be the one I need to make sure. But, you know, Kent Frost, are you familiar with this? Why do I know that name? Well, it's a famous name. Okay. You probably wouldn't know the Canyonlands without knowing Kent mm, Frost. Okay. Let's see if this is this audio. You're listening to This Week in Moab, and thank you for calling with your support of all of our, uh, you know, collective efforts to bring live, local, reliable, useful information to you. Mm. <laughs> you got it. That should We should have a special This Week in Moab mission, and that should be it. Yes. <laughs> now, this doesn't mean that um, my method is to get it right. Lots of times I'll sure. get it wrong, and that's the whole point, right. and ha-ha, they'll right. get to correct me. But you still... right. You still get correct information. Mm. So thanks to Richard Schmidt for this. Oh, oh, yay. He's wonderful. Another thing that's great about radio is that we get to feel connected to Green mm-hmm. River. Can we just give a triple hug right now? Yeah, we'll yay. give a virtual radio hug. Thanks, Richard. Thank you. And Green River. Mwah. All right. Wow. Let's find out what this is. Grab bag radio. Give us a call. 259 Five nine six eight. You're listening to KZMU, 
90.1 FM and 106.7 FM. And I have with me here on the line none other than cultural truth teller Amy Goodman, producer of Democracy Now!, aired on over 400 stations, including KZMU. Amy and her crew are pioneering the largest community media collaboration in the U.S. She's also author of The Exception to the Rulers. Amy, it's a real honor to have you on the air today. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. You know, you've been revealing stories that matter, life and death, war and peace for quite some time now. And the emerging cultural theme is this fatalistic storyline. I want to know, why do you think individuals, corporations, and governments act against their own long-term best interests? Are there any clues? I mean, I think individuals have an enormous power against the most powerful corporation. Um, I think it's very important that uh, people realize no matter how powerful these companies are, they are very fearful about people organizing at the grassroots level. Um, and that's why community media is so important. It provides a forum for people to speak to each other. It provides a forum to discuss the most important issues of the day of governments um, and corporations that act as if they're representing people, but in fact, they're not. It's this inspirational message that you gave to the National Federation of Community Broadcasters in Portland. It was so inspired. You were saying that it's really come down to community stations to tell the truth because other media sources aren't. And could you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, yeah. I mean, media are the most powerful institutions on earth. And the question is, how is that power used and who owns them? And the power of KZMU and community radio around the country is that it's supported by people at the grassroots. And so it is there in service of the community, building community, which is why it's so important for people to call 259-5968. That's 259-5968 and become a member of KZMU and not take for granted that you have a community radio station in Moab in the surrounding area. Um, not every community does, and it is a national treasure. It's part of the sacred chain of public stations serve the public, and that is so rare in this time of media consolidation when they try to take away public access and privatize the internet. Um, it matters that you can hear people who think like you and don't think like you, but are not that small circle of pundits who know so little about so much explaining the world to us on the rest of the corporate network channels. So please call right now. 259-5968 and become a member of KZMU, uh, your own radio station in Moab. I appreciate this so much. I just have one more question for you, Amy. You cited some examples of the potency of the individual as acting as levers for change. Who inspires you most in this way? Oh, so many people. I mean, my family, my parents, my dad died years ago, but he was a a, a doctor who cared for people and also a community activist deeply believed in integrating our community and fighting for peace and justice and my mother my grandmothers and my grandfathers my mother who is still alive who is such an important mentor and role model for me in fact she just returned from vietnam last year she was in iran um and she's a woman who deeply believes in the power of education um and uh 
both at the senior level. Um, there, She's part of a group on Long Island where they do peer education at the local university. Um, and she leads book groups and has been a professor of women's studies and a social worker. And her life is about service. And she's very much inspired me and my brothers. My grandmother recently died. She was 108 years old. And she, too, just a role model, to say the least, of endurance. But folks, what matters is that we build community together, whether it's our blood relatives or our chosen family and friends. Um, the way we reach out is by communicating, communication. And that's where KZMU and community radio and community media in general comes in. Um, and there's nothing more important, you know, more powerful than any bomb, more powerful than any missile. Um, is the media, and the Pentagon has deployed it, and we have to take it back. And KZMU is a good example of an independent station that's there for you if you decide to support it. So please call 259-5968. That's 259-5968 at any level and become a member. It's your radio station. You make it that way when you call. You make it happen. I appreciate your time and your energy. You're such an inspiration. Uh, as an individual lever for change. We love you here, Amy. Thank you so much for your time. Wow. Mm, we sure love Amy, don't we? Wow. And she just, okay, so Howard, you remember <laughs> that moment. When I that do, happened. because I happened to be on the air on my music show on Wednesdays, um, and Christy came in and said, listen, um, Amy Goodman's calling, and we need the studio. And I said, Amy's calling? Fine. Nobody, anybody else? No. You'd have to wait until I get off here. But of course, I would gladly cede airtime to Amy and Christy for that on a Wednesday years and years ago. Yeah, I'm thinking it was 2007 and or something here. like that. And she was just able to extemporaneously throw down Hard. on behalf of KZMU. And so just know that this is how, this is how, you know, they roll in the big city. You are going to remember that phone number. Mm -hmm. If you haven't yet, we could just play the whole thing again. <laughs> just put it on a loop, you know? know. Well, it's interesting hearing yeah. your voices because that was a telephone interview. So there's, it's, it's not quite studio and studio. Isn't it amazing how KZMU survived the pandemic so well with this new medium to interview called Zoom, mm, which mm -hmm. was even better than the telephone, actually, that you found the quality of the sound came in much better with Zoom interviews. So we were able to kind of conduct our weekly affairs, public affairs show all through the, the closure, everything else. And I really just in the, in the general terms of being a Moabite and having KZMU as an anchor in my life. Honestly, the KZMU News Show during the pandemic was the greatest medicine you could ever find because there was a lot of stress at that time, just not knowing where to find news. And news that actually was important to me here in Moab. Mm. It wasn't going to come to me from Salt Lake or anywhere else, but we were well informed with Molly's you know, daily broadcast. And it's all part of this public affairs, which is the greater good of what music does, really the core of KZMU. But it, the public affairs has grown and is still growing. It's we've 30 years in, who knows what the next 30. And of course, we could use your support to get us towards those next 30. So Thank you, Howard. please do give a call. We did have a great call. Do you want to do this again? Should we stick it to us again before the hour? How are you feeling? I, I do, how many other shows during Radiothon do you have? I have I, one more. I, do you? I have one more. Okay. Well, maybe we should hold our, <laughs> <laughs> hold our horses, eh? Yeah, you 
got stuck to pretty well today. You that know. was good. Thanks, Richard, for yeah, that call. Thank you, Richard. So. Oh, I tell you what, though, if somebody maybe uh-huh. does a uh, double dog dare, Ooh. you know, if the right phone call mm-hmm. comes in, I will reconsider. <laughs> that would be personally taken by Miss Williams there. So please do give a call. Um, I'm yeah. stroking the phone gently for you. It's warming up. Yeah, you, he he is actually, but we're going to give him this little wipe because we right. are trained now oh in pandemic. Yeah, we've got to keep, keep it safe. Keeping keep it, it sanit- clean. Keep it another, sane. another sign of KZMU growing up. It's a time for another um, clip. Let's see who we have here. Uh, could be any one of the luminaries that have made our community such a colorful and wonderful place to be a radio station in. So before there were such things as, uh, well, I would say newspapers came around. I mean, 1896 and stuff. But I think Kent Frost does. I'm going to see if I can find this find clip because I really want us to be able to hear this voice talking about Glen Canyon. Mm, okay, so he's going to uh, take us back to geologic time? Yeah, this is it. Okay. The Adventurous Life of Kent Frost. Hi, Suzette. Thank you for coming today. Hi, Christy. Thank you. So good to see you. Where? What got into you? You thought, okay, I'm just going to make this, uh, I'm going to help Chris Simon make this film. Tell me, start me from scratch. Okay. Um, let's see. I met Kent Frost in 1983, or 1993, I'm sorry, 1993. And we did a river trip together, and I thought he was just about one of the most interesting people I had ever met. Why? He is an adventurer. He is an explorer. And he started exploring this land, this desert lands around Moab and Monticello, places that we call Canyonlands National Park now, he started exploring that when he was just a boy. When other people were sitting at home um, on a farm and running a tractor around the field, um, he would put in his dues um, on the field in the farms and shoveling wheat, and then he would take off in when the, when the crop was in and go hiking. Yeah. How old is he now? He's 91 years old, and he will be with us tomorrow night at the showing of um, the film that uh, Chris Simon and myself have been working on for about five years now. Well done. So Star Hall, tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m., The Adventurous Life of Kent Frost. We actually have a few uh, a few clips from the film, and maybe you'd like to set one of them up. Oh, Katie Lee is going to be here. Katie Lee, yep, she's coming through the airwaves with us. and um, she, But she's going to be here she it, it she may not be able to make it up for oh, the film. She I was see. here last week for the um, for the wonderful Edward Abbey tribute and uh, that uh, was going on with the confluence. Sure. So the we'll literary see if she conference. makes it. We'll see. I yeah. see. Okay. <laughs> but she's here with us on the film, and she's here with us um, on uh, some speaking about Kent um, and and some of the things that he has taught her actually on one of these cuts well we're going to start with one called driving to camp and we are going to return now we're um hearing a little bit from my Canyonlands, the adventurous life of kent frost who is quite a character still kicking a film by chris simon My mother, she 
decided that I had to be born in Snowflake, Arizona. I guess that was all right, but here I come riding back then in a team and wagon and so on, a two-week trip all the way back here. I always thought that that must be the reason I was uh, born to be traveling and always have to go someplace to see something different. I call that an Indian love axe because it towers a heart in there. It's a real good chopper and all you have to do is just to sharpen it up. You have the satisfaction of recycling something. When you have the fire in there, the smoke goes right out the top, you know, just like it's supposed to. There's the bed. You're all ready to climb in it. And if you get cold, you put that on for the cover. And just stuff the wood in the stove here and light a match to it. And then uh, pretty soon you have instant heat. Ordinary people, they're supposed to sit down and stay in the same place and do some farming. And I didn't like that farming very good. I could sit there on that tractor and look up the mountain or all over the country and see a lot of places I'd rather be than sitting on that tractor for 10 hours a day and listening to it going around the field, around the field. And so, I don't know, I guess it's kind of natural that I would uh, just get out and hike around whenever I had a chance to. Here we go. When I was about 14 or 15, oh, wow. I was caught out a long way from home when it got dark, and so I decided, well, I'll just stay here asleep by a campfire. And I survived, and a great new experience. And so after I learned that, well, I had the whole world of country to start exploring at that age. My folks uh, kind of disagreed with me on a lot of it, but if I uh, disappeared, they wouldn't know where I went, and then when I come back, they'd always glad to see me. Kent's mother must have had nerves of steel because Kent had a habit of disappearing. She was ever worried about them. She says, oh, they know what they're doing and they can take care of themselves because they can always shoot rabbits for food. He'd take off to the mountain or hiking around someplace and the truant officer would come and say, well, where's Kent? Well, he went to school. Well, he's not there today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's wild country I grew up in, so I guess that made me kind of wild then. <laughs> One time, Ken and his brothers decided to climb Mount Peel. It's almost 13,000 feet. He's the one that taught me how to hike Slick Rock the hard way. He knew a route where there were some smoky steps and a way to get up. On top of the Slick Rock, we ran across this incredible pool. It looked like a swimming pool. He said, I know a different way down, a quicker way down. I come over to the edge of this place and I start down. And then I look down in front of me all the way. And Kent is down here about 100 feet below me. And I'm saying, I beg your pardon. How am I going to get? I can't go down here. So he said, lean out. I said, what? Lean forward, lean out. That pushes your feet back into the rock. Yeah, it made sense, but it didn't make visual sense at all. Not at all. 
Well, I don't know how, but eventually I found one little spot to put my foot. And they must have leaned out a little bit because if I had leaned back, I'd have slid all the way down. And that was the uh, indomitable, unforgettable Katie Lee, who was one of the uh, most wonderful persons, an artist and an Mm. activist that was uh, crucial in the story about Glen Canyon Dam. And in this particular clip, it was a little bit too long for today, Mm -hmm. Kent was positing about the... Uh, silt and what he's seeing about Glen Canyon because he knew it way before it was a thing and uh, also kind of prophetic Um, we were talking about the themes that you actually identified Mm -hmm. A plus Molly thank you a lot of environmental public lands how do we share our home kind of questions Mm -hmm. water Uh, how do we make sure we have a home and that there's a river running through it, you know. It's so relevant because I just had a conversation with someone today about Lake Powell and the future of Glen Canyon Dam, <laughs> and it's all coming back around right now in 2022. Mm-hmm. And we've had some really colorful characters that are part of our community since ever, ever that can't really imagine themselves living anywhere else. And I think I have to say by now I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. I think we all are by now, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, thank you, Howard. Yeah. Welcome to Planet Moab, the best planet on Earth. <laughs> it's true. I'm um, KZMU in that mix, and to you listeners mm-hmm. for supporting us. Yeah, but it is sort of like a public lands preserve kind of place. You want to leave it better than you found it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our children, for our, their children. And that means KZMU, too, so, you know, you know what to do. 259-5968. Uh, the goal this time is 40 Mm. And it is a grown-up goal for a grown-up station that has needed that amount of money since the beginning. Mm. Okay? (laughs) And we're we're about halfway there. I'm Mm -hmm. pretty excited. So uh, thanks for throwing down on behalf of these convened voices that are so important in our understanding of our own aspirations as individuals and a community. Molly, thank you for kicking it up so many oh, notches on the you. daily. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I couldn't Thanks have done it. Thanks to you, Christy, it. too. Yeah, I couldn't Thanks have done it without the group, thank you. This, thank that you. group here. Yeah, exactly. Thank you for your contributions, Howard, throughout all the years, yeah. musically and public affairs-wise and mm. otherwise. More importantly, thank you for being the you in KZMU 90.1 106.7 FM I'm Christy saying love you Moab thanks for your support you can catch This Week in Moab every second third and fourth Monday of the month broadcasting locally and streaming across the world